You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated and good morning to the 10 o'clock. Glad that you are here today. We read about some things that are happening in the Apostle Paul's life And they sound really familiar to maybe what we're going through in our own lives as well. You know, Paul isn't some superhuman Christian who never has difficult days or has to be around difficult people or walk through difficult things. Uh, He had those things. We have those things as well. Sometimes we think that Bible characters like Paul have no struggles. You may think that, that Paul had people maybe attacking him from the outside, detractors and, and, and critics and, and, and persecutors. But maybe you think that Paul didn't have any struggles on the inside, and that's simply not true. Uh, back in, in chapter 1 of Second Corinthians, we saw a few weeks ago that Paul despaired for life itself. Later on, when we get to chapter seven, deeper into the summer, we'll see that, that, that Paul dealt with depression. He, he felt depressed. He felt downcast in his soul. So we saw this last week, but I want us to look at a passage we looked at last Sunday again. So if you're a copy of God's word, would you go with me, please? The book of 2 Corinthians. We're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians this summer. It's uh, eight books into the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. If you'd go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is going to revisit two of the verses that we looked at last Sunday to kind of bring us into our passage we're gonna look at together today. So 2 Corinthians chapter two, maybe you already knew that's where we're gonna be, verse one and verse four. We're gonna look at those two verses. I'll give you just a second to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter two, the very beginning, it says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So just kind of keep that thought in mind. I, I had a painful visit with you last time. I thought, I'm not doing that again. Uh, Jump down to verse four. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So we see here in verse one that Paul has had a, a painful visit in Corinth, a painful visit with the Corinthian Christians, probably painful because he had to point out some things in their lives that were, that were sinful, that were in rebellion, and not just in the lives of individual people, but also pointing out some things in the entirety of the church. He was having to come to them and painfully say, there's some things in your lives that don't match up to the character of Christ, and there's some things in this church that don't match up to the design of Christ. And we can guess painful because it, it didn't go well, because we all understand this, no one likes correction. No one likes to be held accountable. So now Paul is writing, verse four, with tears. Paul is writing, verse four, with with affliction. He's writing, verse four, with anguish in, in his heart. So let me go and get our Greek word out of the way today. The word anguish here is the word sunoke. And it's an interesting word. The word anguish, sunoke in Greek, means trying to hold it together. Does that not perfectly paint a picture for our lives when we're in tears and we're in anguish and we're going through difficult times, we're just trying to keep our heart together in the middle of an emotional day or an emotional season or an emotional situation. For you note takers, you can write this down. Paul was experiencing three difficulties or three frustrations in his life. Three things that we're gonna see. The first one we saw just then, he was emotionally drained and weary. He has a painful situation in these relationships with these believers in in Corinth, thus the tears, 
uh, thus the affliction, thus trying to hold his heart together in the middle of all of this. And, and some of you can relate to that. It's like you can't enjoy the sunshine because there's always an emotional heaviness over you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's emotionally drained. He's, he's weary. There's an emotional heaviness here in his life. And maybe you have experienced or you are experiencing just being emotionally weary. The emotional heaviness of, of family, of relationships, of, of marriage, of, of parenting, of, of work, of finances, of a situation in your life that, that is draining and is causing you to be emotionally exhausted all the time. Here's the second thing that Paul is facing, the second difficulty or frustration in his life. He is hurt by the words or by the actions of someone within the church. We're not going to read this, but the next passage in your Bible, verses 5 through 11, you can kind of read between the lines and see that someone in that church has hurt him. Someone in that church has said something about him. Someone in that church has acted against him. You can read between the lines of this portion and see that Paul is hurt. Now, scholars believe that probably the hurt came from someone in the church who had either said something behind his back or had said something about his leadership or had pushed back on his, on his theology. But he is, he is hurt, whatever it is. And even though you see in this passage that Paul forgives him in this section, you, you know it's hurt He's hurt because he wasn't there. Have you noticed that the, the words that are most painful to us are the words that are spoken behind our back? And that's the same happening here in the life of Paul. He is hurt by these words. He's hurt by the actions of, of someone else. Let's pick it up now in, in our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. This is some new territory for us. Uh, Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. So here's the third thing it seems like that, that Paul was experiencing in his life, this loneliness and this isolation. Paul was having feelings of loneliness. Paul, Paul was having feelings of, of being left out or, or being left alone feelings of isolation. This was a difficulty that he was experiencing in his life, a, a frustration he was feeling in his life. Now, let me give you a little, little geography lesson without a map on the screen. Troas was right north of Ephesus. So Paul was in Ephesus. He's gonna travel right north to Troas. It's probably 220 to 230 miles north of where he is in modern-day Turkey. So he's going up there, and you see there's a little hint of hope that he says in verse 12, a door had been opened for me. And so Paul had stepped into that door. That was that sense of hope that he had. But he travels up there and you see in verse 13 that his spirit has no rest. His spirit is still in turmoil because Titus, his friend, in fact, he actually calls him here, my, my brother was not there. Now this is the Titus of the book Titus in, in the New Testament. This is a, a young pastor, someone that Paul has discipled, someone that Paul had found a great friendship in him just as he had in, in Timothy. So he travels to Troas because he, he, a door has opened for him. He gets there, but he, his spirit isn't at rest. His spirit is troubled within him because he was looking forward to seeing not just a brother in Christ, but, but his dear brother, Titus. He shows up and Titus does not show up and now he's feeling lonely. Isn't this true in our own lives when we're hurt by somebody or someone speaks behind our back or we're emotionally drained or emotionally exhausted? We just need a friend. And that's what Paul needed. He showed up and the friend 
wasn't there. He goes to meet his friend Titus and Titus doesn't show. So in light of those three things, let's see what Paul says. Actually, more than that, let's see what Paul does. Let's read it all first and we'll unpack it in a second. So pick it up here in verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But, and that's a big but right there, one, one T, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of, of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Paul is hurting, emotionally exhausted. People have talked behind his back. He, he's, he's, feeling, he's feeling lonely. He went to meet a friend. A friend wasn't there. And he does something. He makes, he makes a decision. He makes a determination here in verse 14 to thank God. He basically gets a hold of himself. And sometimes, maybe often, we have to make a decision in the middle of a difficult time of your life, of my life, a difficult season of our life, just to kind of take hold of ourselves and tell ourselves, I'm not gonna be governed by my feelings. I'm not gonna be governed by my emotions. I am not gonna be governed by, by the situation. Sometimes we have to speak to our soul and tell our soul what's up. And this is what Paul does. He says, in the middle of all this, I had to turn, I had to give thanks to God, thus the big transition word there, but, but thanks be to God. You know, sometimes you need to talk to yourself, not just listen to yourself. This is what Paul does. I love what Martin Lloyd Lloyd Jones says in his book, Spiritual Depression, he writes, and you see this on the screen, this is such a rich word. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You must take yourself in hand. You must address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You must say to your soul, soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disturbed? You must turn on yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering to yourself in a depressed, unhappy way, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. This, by the way, is rich wisdom if you are walking through difficult days. Rich wisdom for difficult days. Sometimes you have to do exactly what Paul does. He takes a hold of himself in the middle of the loneliness, in the middle of the, uh, the emotional weight in his life, and he speaks to himself and he says out loud, but thanks be to God. Paul begins to give thanks to God even in the middle of the frustrations of his life. So note takers, just write that down. Paul begins to give thanks to God. This, by the way, is great strategy because you can enumerate your hurts every day or you can enumerate the blessings of God every day. You can recount all the things that you think aren't going well in your life or you can recount all the things that God has done for you. 
You can rehearse all of your pains and your troubles, or you can rehearse the goodness of God. Paul comes to a place where he says, I'm going to remember all that God has done. I'm going to give thanks to God. So here's what causes gratitude to well up in the life of Paul. I'm going to give you four things today, four things that you can hold on to, four things that you can pass along, what you do in the middle of difficulty, what you do in the middle of frustration. And here's what caused Paul to, to well up with gratitude and thanksgiving. First of all, God is always leading his people. Hope you didn't close your Bible. Look back at verse 14, the beginning of 14. He writes, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. He's always leading us. In other words, God is in control. This is a God who is always leading his people. Paul says, I'm gonna get a hold of myself and remind myself that God, even in the middle of this frustration, even in the middle of this season of life, God is always leading me. And always is such a great word. You know what that means in Greek? Always. It is, God always does this. He, he, he's never inconsistent in the leadership of his people. God is always leading us. He's always leading his people. You can even hearken back with me if you want to to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not gonna want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me and guides me beside the, the still waters. And then he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though he's gonna guide me through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not gonna be afraid in the shadow of death because his rod is with me, his staff is with me, which is his protection and his direction. And you're gonna, even in a table of my enemies in front of me, you're gonna anoint my head with oil so that my cup is gonna overflow. Certainly, God, because you're always leading me. Your goodness, your mercy will chase after me all the days of my life. And ultimately, where is God leading us? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God always faithfully leads his people. And this brings us peace. Even if it doesn't bring an absolute understanding of where God is leading you, there's a big difference, by the way, Highland, of having the peace of God and the understanding of God. You don't always understand how he's leading or where he's leading or why he's leading, but you can always have the peace of God. The peace of God is better than the understanding of God. And I'll just tell you where I am in my life right now and you can hold on to this or you can forget I even said it. I've never understood what God was doing, but I've learned to have a peace that he is in control. And not just leading, he's always leading. I'll take peace from him over an understanding of him any day of the week because we have learned to trust him. This wells up in the heart of, of Paul. God is always leading his people. Secondly, God is always leading his people into, into victory. He writes here in verse 14, read, read the rest of 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal Procession. So it's not just that we're always being led by God, but we're always being led by God into a triumphal procession. Now, the picture that Paul is giving here is a picture that he has seen before. He'd be well acquainted with. Remember, Paul is a Hebrew. He's Jewish, but he's also a Roman citizen. And so Paul wouldn't understand this picture, would paint this picture. The people of Corinth would understand this picture as well. He's giving a picture of a conquering Roman general because a conquering Roman general was, was given access to have a triumphal procession back into Rome after he had done three things. And he had to do all three of these things. He had to take his army into a foreign land, first of all. Secondly, he had to win a battle or win land in that foreign land. And then thirdly, he had to kill at least 5,000 soldiers of the opposing army. 
When those three things happened, when they came back into Rome with their army, they were given, as on a vote by the Roman Senate, a triumphal procession into, into Rome. And that's what actually what was called as a triumphal procession. So this is the picture here that Paul is painting. Think a, um, uh, think a ticker tape parade, um, except New York style. Right with with not with the confetti, but Roman style, like in in togas. And so they'd come into they would come into the city, and they they would march in, and then the streets would be lined with with all of these people. The streets would be lined with the people as as they came in, as the general came into uh, came into Rome, and and people would, would would throw flowers. Ladies especially would throw flower petals on on the road, and as people marched on those flower petals, this this aroma would would, would be given off. That the pagan priest would have these incense lanterns, and then the incense would flow all throughout the street, and you could smell. In fact, that's we're going to see this in a little bit. It was the the smell of victory. It was the aroma of, of victory and, and the army would march before the conquering general and, and there would be great procession and great, great joy. And those who were, who were, were captive or captured by this conquering general, they would be behind the, the general and they, they would have their chains on and their heads would be down because they were being led into, into prison or they were being led to their, to their death or they were being led to be slaves. And in this triumphal procession would happen and the conquering general, he would be in a chariot. He'd be led by these four horses. And and as as he came in, he would paint his face red to resemble the war god Jupiter. And so he would come into into Rome and there'd be all this fanfare and the people would be be cheering. They'd be lining up the, 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 the streets and there'd just be an incredible triumphal procession because it was a celebration of victory. Now on the screen, again, you'll see the, the arch of, of Titus. Uh, this is one of the three arches in Rome. There's only three still standing. There were once dozens of arches. You have the arch of, of Severus, the arch of uh, Constantine, and this is the arch of Titus. Titus went into Israel, uh, conquered Israel, conquered and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in, in 70, 71 AD. And so this arch was built in 80 AD. It's still standing in, in Rome today. And if you're to look on, on the reliefs, here's the first relief you see there on, on the arch. Uh, you see the, the conquering general, Titus. You see him in the chariot. You see him drawn uh, by, by, by four horses or carried by four horses. You see some of his soldiers uh, around him. This is that triumphal procession as they were, they were coming back. So on the next relief you see on the arch there, Titus, is the picture of the soldiers carrying the spoils of war. I didn't say that earlier. As they were carrying the spoils of war, the soldiers would carry gold or, or, or silver or ivory or the treasures from that land that was conquered. Here in this relief, you see them carrying the menorah taken from the temple in Jerusalem. It's kind of hard to tell, but on the right-hand side of that picture, uh, they were carrying a, a box. That was the table of showbread that they, they took from the temple. And so this was the, the triumphal procession. As they come back into Rome, they're carrying all the spoils of, of war. And people would, would line the streets. And in Latin, they would cry out, triumphum, triumphum. A victory, victory, triumph, triumph for our king, for, for our general who is coming back as the conqueror. And Paul is putting that image into the minds of the Corinthians. And he is saying right here in this passage, God in Christ Jesus, he always leads us into this triumphal procession. That is, God always leads his people into victory. 
And brother and sister in Christ, I can't promise you that that victory will happen in this life, but I can promise you it will happen in the life to come. You may experience many victories in this life, but there will be a grand victory that is to come where we will line up in the parade with Jesus, if you will, as the conquering king. However God wants to do that, there will be victory. God has promised his people victory in the end. In the end, we will be co-heirs with Christ. In the end, we'll be seated with Christ. In the end, there'll be this victory parade. Jesus will be leading the way. And that image begins to turn the downcast soul of Paul. Not only is God leading me, God is leading me in victory. Here's the third thing, and this is, this is pretty amazing. Third thing, God is allowing his people to influence others for Christ. Paul's heart is now moved. It's stirred to thanksgiving because he realizes God is going to allow him to be an influence to others for the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the kingdom of Christ. So I hope your Bible's still open. I want you to see this. This is causing this gratitude, this thanksgiving in the heart of Paul. Verse 14, the middle of verse 14. And through us, so we've just heard about this conquering king and Jesus Christ who's leading us into triumph, always leading us. And now through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, of Christ, everywhere. And if you wonder what that means, verse 15 is, is clarifying. For we, Christian, here at Highland today, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, it's the fragrance of death. That's the ones who are perishing. Others, is the fragrance of, of life, those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking here about the privilege that you and I have this week to be the aroma of Christ in Waco. The privilege that you and I have this week, the honor that you and I have this week to be the aroma of Christ in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in this nation. Paul is talking about the privilege that you and I have to influence others for Jesus. The opportunity that you and I have to be the aroma of Christ to others. Now, Paul is staying here in this passage with this, this picture of this triumphal procession, the aroma of, of victory. Remember we talked about that, that the flowers on the ground as people stepped on, the soldiers stepped on them, uh, that this beautiful aroma began to, to rise up in the streets of Rome. You think about those pagan priests as they had their incense. So there's this smell of, of victory, but it doesn't smell so good to those who were conquered. It, it's, it's a a reminder that they were defeated, a reminder that they are shackled, a reminder that they are headed to death. But for those who are victorious, that smell of the flowers, that aroma was a reminder that they were victorious. And so this week, just you can bank on it. If you're gonna have the aroma of Christ this week, for those who don't know Christ, your smell of victory is gonna smell like death to them because they're captive to sin. They're, they're, they're marching toward death. They're not living in victory. But this week, as we smell like the aroma of Christ here in the city of Waco together, to other believers in, in Christ, when they smell that aroma of Christ coming from our lives, it reminds them of the life they have in Jesus. So I guess kind of really the big question I have for you today is simply this, well, what do you smell like? Like what aroma are, are, are we giving off this week? I mean, do you smell more like Jesus or do you smell more like a Republican? Do you smell more like Jesus or do you smell more like a Democrat? 
do you smell like Jesus or do you smell more like a libertarian? I tried to offend everybody here today with that. Like, what, what do you smell like in the city? What do you smell like at your home? What do you smell like in your relationships? Do you, do you smell like Jesus or do you smell bitter and judgmental? Do you smell like Jesus or do you smell too busy or self-absorbed? Do you smell like Jesus or do you smell like you're always disappointed in others? Because you smell like something. You and I both are gonna smell like something this week. And we're told here, what an incredible opportunity you and I have to influence others for Christ because we carry the aroma of Jesus. Now, maybe it begs this question as well. What does Jesus smell like? Well, I, I think I can tell you based on John chapter one, he smells like grace and truth. Jesus carries the aroma of, of, of graciousness, but also truth. And so if you and I are to carry out and carry on the aroma this week in the city, the aroma of, of Christ, we're gonna have to smell a lot like grace and a lot like truth. What do I mean by that? That we wildly distribute grace to others with, with compassion, with kindness, but we never ever waver off of God's truth. We never step out of scripture. We never step away from the truth of God's word. And yet in that, we consistently give grace and compassion to others. Now, let me tell you why I think that might be really good for our city, because our city assumes that Christians are not gracious. Our city, the lost city around us, assumes that believers are judgmental but not kind, that we're self-absorbed but we're never about tenderheartedness to others. And so it may be a shock to our city this week if you and I begin to smell a lot like grace. But the reason you and I also need to smell a lot like truth is because there's so little truth in our city. That if we were to walk around with the aroma of Christ and we were to walk around with, with grace and truth, just like the aroma of Jesus, we can influence others for Christ even this week. Here's the fourth and last thing and I'll, I'll be done. God is sufficient. This is what, what causes gratitude in the life of a Paul. God is sufficient for his people even in our weakness. Look at the middle of verse 16, and I'll take you to the end of verse 17. God is sufficient for his people, even in our weakness. Verse 16, who is sufficient for such things? Uh, Paul, I think, is probably referencing back to like, who is sufficient to be an influence for Christ? Uh, who is sufficient to carry on the aroma of, of Jesus? Uh, who is sufficient to understand that, that God is always gonna lead me? And who is sufficient for, for his victory? When he comes to a great place here, he says, oh, for we are not like so many other people who are, who are peddling God's word just to make a dollar. Well, we're not out there. This is not like a business plan for us, but instead we are men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Maybe some of us in this room, we feel like this often. We think, who's sufficient in here to, to be an influence? Who is sufficient in this room to be a leader? Who is sufficient to, to be in ministry? Who is sufficient to be a mom? Who is sufficient to be a dad? Who is sufficient to be a good friend, a good employee? Who is sufficient to be a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? And Paul comes to a great answer. I wanna make sure you see this in, in verse 17. He comes to a great point where he says, oh, we're the people who have been sent by God and Christians, so have you. 
That's what that word commissioned means. We, we have been sent by God in the sight of God. So in other words, God is seeing us as we're being sent by God. We are seen by God. And then he says, and we speak as people who are in Christ. This is how he arrives at his sufficiency. In and of himself, of course we're insufficient. But I'm seen by God. And you and I were sent by God. And you and I, believer, we are in Christ. Paul comes to a place where he realizes that he is sufficient, even in his weakness, because God is sufficient. So if you're feeling weak today and you're feeling insufficient this week, you're feeling spiritually frail this week, you can know this. God is sufficient for us. We are the weak, made strong in him. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us today. I would imagine there's many in this room who either have been or they are just emotionally worn out, tired, spent. Maybe many in this room who feel lonely, who feel isolated, who feel left out. Father, maybe some in this room that someone has talked about them behind their back, someone has done something behind their back and, and it hurts, it stings. God, I pray that by your grace, you would allow us to, to take hold of our own hearts today, to speak to our soul, put your hope in God. Look at God, he is the one who always leads us. Look at God, he is the one who always leads us in victory. Look at God, he has given us the opportunity to influence others for Christ. Look at God, he is sufficient even when we are frail and vulnerable and weak. Look at God, thanks be to him. So Father, remind us today of your sufficiency, we have been sent by you, we are seen by you, and the joy of being in Christ Jesus. Help us to be your aroma this week by living lives of grace and truth. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Maybe, perhaps, you would wanna use this next song to, to leave your seat and just come and kneel before the Lord and just thank him for some of these things. God, thank you even in the middle of my difficult times. You're leading me. You're leading me in victory. You're allowing me to be an influence. That you're sufficient even when I feel like I'm insufficient. That you're enough for me. Maybe you'd want to leave your seat. Not just sing a song from your seat, but sing a song from your knees. Maybe you want to come and pray. We'll have some prayer leaders here at the front. Maybe you want to walk uh, to one of the prayer leaders and just say, here's what's happening in my life. Would you pray for me in this season? Would you, would you battle with me in prayer? Well, let's sing this song together that because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ has done, we are sufficient in him. Would you sing? And why don't you please come?